Jonah chapter 3, we're going to be looking at. The title of the message is God of the Second Chance. Does anybody need a second chance in the room? Come on, somebody. Does anybody need a second chance? Okay, stand to your feet. We're going to read the scriptures. Stand if you are able, that is. So I'm going to read the first verse, then you can read verse 1, 3, and 5. This is the word of the Lord. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And Father, thank you that we're here. Uh, Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship. Thank you that you meet us in a unique way when we gather in community. And thank you that you do something in the corporate worship community that doesn't happen anywhere else. And so we're grateful to be here. Thank you, Lord, as we open the holy God-breathed scriptures, your word. We pray that you would help us to focus our attention and our hearts on what you have to say. We ask that you would equip us for every good work, that your blessing would be the remainder of our time together, that you would draw us to yourself, and that there would be a fresh a touch of God upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, saying... So we're a Bible-teaching church, if you're new, and we, uh, we go through the Bible, we go through books of the Bible, we unpack the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So what we're doing, if you're new, we're looking at a fascinating story in the Old Testament, minor prophet Jonah with a major message for us. Again, the title of the message is God of the Second Chance. So what happened is Jonah, it's a guy in the Bible in the Old Testament here, and he was God's spokesperson for, to be for Nineveh. So God tells the prophet, the preacher, I'm assigning you, I'm designing for you, I'm choosing you here, I desire for you to go to Nineveh. So the story begins with an interruption. And God asked him to do something that was totally outside his comfort zone. How many people know that God will ask you to do things that are completely outside your comfort zone? God will interrupt you when you least expect it, like he did to Jonah here. So God gave Jonah an assignment and told Jonah then to go to Nineveh. So every single Christ follower will have some assignment, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, that God will give to you in your lifetime. So, uh, so what happened here is he gave him an assignment that was very hard, very difficult, very challenging. Sometimes God will do this with you give you something to do this very hard. So he asked Jonah then to take a field trip, a 2,500-mile field trip, but nonetheless, a field trip there to go to, Tar- to go to Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish to flee the presence of the Lord. So he didn't want to go there because he's a patriot for Israel, and he's feeling like, I don't want to go there where they're going to kill me, where they're going to put my body on display, where they take your eyes out, cut off your ears and nose, and tongue, and cut your head off, put it on display. I think I could think of other things that I'd rather do. Be like God telling you to go to Iraq. No joke. This is in Iraq. Nineveh is in Iraq today. Okay, so it'd be like God telling you to go to Iraq. And say, you know what, I'd like you to go talk to the, those people out there, ISIS, and uh, I'd like you to talk to the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. That's the assignment that I have for you. I mean, how would you react to that? So Jonah thought that he would run from God, that he would run from God's assignment for his life. So he runs essentially 
from God's expectations, from what God wanted him to do there. So being the patriotic Israelite that he was here, he absolutely hated the Assyrians, the Ninevites, absolutely hated, said to God, you think I'm crazy? You think I'm crazy I'm going to go to Nineveh? There's no way. They kill people in Nineveh. They're probably going to kill me. So Jonah decides to set sail as far as he could in that known world then, away from Nineveh, goes to Tarshish, and God chases him down. And how did God chase him down, friends? But with a great fish? So God in his unfailing power and unlimited uh, uh, love rescues Jonah and says, Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you. I have an assignment for you. So then the Bible says, then Jonah prayed. After three days and three nights, finally Jonah prayed. When? When he's at his lowest point, friend. Literally, physically at his lowest point. So sometimes that's what it takes, that we don't pray till we're at our lowest point. But Jonah then cries out to the Lord and prays this incredible prayer in Jonah chapter 2 that we looked, like, looked at a couple weeks ago. And it's online for free forever. So notice here, Jonah prays, then he's swallowed by the great fish. You see, friends, what I want to say is, friends, that circumstances change when you pray. Notice it, like in our Bible, we have chapters and all that. There's, when it was originally written, it was just one story. So he prays and he's swallowed by the great fish. So Jonah chapter 2, then the Lord ordered the great fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And so God spoke a word, uh, and it changed Jonah's situation. The Lord ordered, commanded the fish. When God speaks, it changes everything. And so now picture in your mind Jonah. Picture in your mind that God says it's time to release the prophet into a projectile. And so he was, and something happened supernaturally, and uh, uh, he was released, and projectile, really of just vomit, just think like vomit in his mouth, in his eyes, in his ears. It was just utterly gross here. But can you see Jonah looking up at the sky and thinking, I never thought that I would see the sky again. I never thought that I would breathe fresh air again. And here I am. Then all that to say where we're beginning, Jonah 3.1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. How many people are glad that God is a God of the second chance? I mean, that's who he is. I don't know about you, but I used up my second chance a long time ago. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so, but here's the point. God will speak to you again and again and again. The word of the Lord comes. Now it says, uh, it says uh, in the next verse here, he says, get up. So it's the same word used in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. So this is important because God is going to tell you something. He's going to tell you again and again. So you need to ask yourself, in all of life's circumstances, what is God trying to say to me in my circumstance? The still small voice speaks, speaks through his word, obviously, speaks through circumstances. So he began the journey in week one, and the story is not just about Jonah. The story about God, about who God is. That's why I entitled it, The God of the Second Chance Here. And so how many people in the Bible were given a second chance? How about Abraham when he lied about his wife uh, to save his neck? How about Moses when Moses murdered a slave there? How about Peter when he denied Christ three times? I, what are you talking about? I don't know the man. Okay, so, so here you have all of these people, then they got a second shot. 
That's who God is. So you know as well as I do that getting another chance changes the direction of your, cha- of your life, changes the trajectory of your life because God is a God that will give you a second and a third and more chances than that. And you just think about history. Think about if we could pull people out of history, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a few people in their lives, how a second chance changed everything in their lives. So I'm going to describe the person. You try to figure out who the person is, then I'm going to tell you. She was dismissed from her drama class because she was too shy and considered not having it, not having what it took to do drama. Her name, Lucille Ball. A record company told them in England that they didn't like their sound when they were young upstarts and getting started, that guitars were on the way out. A little group called the Beatles got a second chance. This guy, he was cut from his high school basketball team, told you're not good enough to play basketball. Cut. Couldn't even make the high school team. Went home, broken, went in his room, shut the door, and cried. His name? The GOAT. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. A teacher told him that he was too stupid to learn anything and should go into some kind of field where he could rely on his personality instead of his, quote, very limited intellect, end of quote. Thomas Edison, but that was a good guess. Thomas Edison. How about this? He reigns in Anaheim. He was fired from a newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no original ideas. Walt Disney. The incredible man I'm next going to tell you about next failed, a complete failure in business. Had a nervous breakdown. Eight times, count them, eight times he failed and he lost political elections. Arguably the greatest president of all time, Abraham Lincoln. You see, friends, we all fail. See, friends, we all need a second chance. We've all done it, right? So what we need is to discover the God of the second chance. Personally, I found that the Heavenly Father is way more of a God of the second chance. He's a God that's given us an infinite number of opportunities to respond to his goodness. So he's the God of a million chances, and he's always saying to us, come on, come on, bro, get up. You can learn from this. Come on, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you there. If you just trust me, we can do it. See, that's God's voice to you this morning. So Is anyone grateful that God refuses to give up on any of us? See, that's who God is here. So we see the next verse, how God gives Jonas his second shot. Look at that. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Deliver the message I've given you. So when it says get up, we're in chapter 3. Chapter 1, exactly the same Hebrew words, get up. So he's given him another shot, another chance here to do what God had called him to do. And so Jonah comes to the exact same command, how beautiful it is. God says, look, all you have to do, Jonah, is just tell them what I tell you. Deliver the message I've given you. I think this is so important that we get this. I want to just camp here for a moment. Deliver the message I'm going to give you. The message was what? The message was 40 days and you repent or I'm going to destroy Nineveh. In the Hebrew language, five words, friends, five words. He said, look, 
I'm giving you five words to go and tell the people there in Nineveh. That's all you have to do. You don't have to figure out the message. It's a really simple sermon. Just five words and tell them. And all that happened with five Hebrew words was the unprecedented, never before in the Bible, never since, never in history, where 120,000 people all at the same time became right with God. Five words. We think it's all about us. That we have, you know, if you're going to go to your neighbor or the person in the cubicle next to you at work or your friend or whoever, that I've got to, I've got to have it all together and I've got to have it in my head and I'm not, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a public speaker and I can't quote scriptures. All he says, look, just deliver the message is all you got to do. And I think that's a truth for us to realize that, look, God gives you the words to say and just deliver what God gives you to do. So I want us to notice this here that everybody is called to be a witness for Jesus. Everybody has a situation, an opportunity, where you can share uh, about your faith. So uh, we are all called to be witnesses uh, of Jesus Christ. So notice here, though, that Jonah fails miserably. Jonah uh, feels like he shouldn't be on the team. Jonah feels like he couldn't have let God down anymore. But God says, no. You're still my instrument. You're still on my team. I'm going to give you another opportunity. So he says, get up, just like he did in verse 1, chapter 1. So he says, get up, Jonah. Let's go, baby. I've got Nineveh for you. So I have great things for you to do, Jonah. And so he says, I'm going to pull off the greatest revival in all of history, and you, you're still my man. And so he doesn't change his assignment. He doesn't change his job description. He doesn't get demoted. He wasn't like, you were once varsity prophet, now you're junior varsity. And you'd, you'd uh, want to ask, if Jonah was talking to God, he'd say, why would you want to use me, someone that's made so many failures? Why would you use, want to use me, somebody that has so let you down? Why is it, friends, that God would use failures? Why is it God would use people that are runners? Because he doesn't have any other options. Like, that's it. All he has are failures. All he has are runners. And so that's why he chooses people like you and like me, because there's no other options. And so God doesn't ask you to do something and then change his mind. We notice that God's word came the second time and didn't change from the first time. It's the same message here. But Jonah must have been thinking to himself, really, God? Like, look at my past. I'm the biggest screw-up. I have profoundly disappointed you. I went as far as I could in the opposite direction. I have completely messed up my life. There can't be any way that you would want to give me another shot. I am the all-time number one biggest prophetic screw-up in the planet or in history. God doesn't say, hey, Jonah, you know, I think you're right. I've been thinking about you and this whole preaching idea in Nineveh. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I didn't know why, why I went with you, like why you were my, my first choice. I think it would be a perfect assignment maybe for someone else. I got some other guys there. I've got Amos. I've got Joel. Uh, I've, got, I've got Elijah. Maybe I should have gone with one of them. Hey, it was my bad. Jonah, it was my bad. Like, like I messed it up. I'm taking responsibility for this. Does God do anything like that, friends? 
God doesn't do anything like that. Rather, we read in chapter 3, he's saying, oh, Jonah, now that you're out of rehab for a few days in the belly of the great fish, now that you're out of rehab, now you got a little uh, attitude adjustment, it's time to go to, Gen- time to, go to Nineveh. And so uh, we read here, chapter 3, verse 3, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So it was like 12 miles by times 22 miles. So it's a big place, 1,700 acres, just the, 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 the palace itself. It was massive. It was large. It was wild. It was wealthy. Uh, it was about 280 miles from Babylon and the Tigris River there. Uh, and so, but if you're touring the city there a few days, but now Jonah is going to reach every business, every block, all of the people there, the inner city, the suburbs, of the palace, all of that is Jonah's assignment there. So now imagine being in Jonah's shoes. He is a, wave, flat, uh, a waving patriot, and he hates the Assyrians. He hates Nineveh to the core of his being. Doesn't want to have anything to do with the capital city of Nineveh uh, there and talk to the Assyrians. So he's trying to, to wrestle through all of that. And he really, he wanted God to drop the hammer, to annihilate the Assyrians, Nineveh. That was, that was his dream. But this time he's probably thinking, yeah, if I go, probably going to be killed, probably going to be stoned, maybe going to cut my ears off or gorge out my eyes. That's what they do. But he takes a deep breath and he says, okay, God, I'm going to Nineveh, verse 4. And on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Notice the simple sermon. The power is not in us, friends. The power is in God's word here. And so who would have thought that such a simple message would work? Think of our crusades today. Think of revivals throughout history. Or even what we do today. They have all the hottest, coolest bands and all the things that get people. And, And here's just five Hebrew words, but they were God's words, so they were powerful words. A tough message, but Jonah delivered it, and he told them, hey, hey, guys, all of you, you you turn around, and you start walking with God, or it's over for you, and the message worked. Look how the people responded in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message there. See, first of all, friends, watch. You can't believe if you don't hear God's word. They can't repent. They don't hear what God has said. So they believed God's message from the greatest to the least, from the highest in culture to the lowest, from the highest in the strata of uh, being known and visible to the unknowns and invisible. Everyone there, uh, all people hear the message and repent. And so the people believed what? There was a God. There was Yahweh. Previous to that, they didn't believe, and so they're putting their faith in Yahweh. And then to demonstrate that, one of the things they did in that culture is they would put on burlap, which was goat hair uh, coverings then. They would cover themselves in that, a thick, coarse cloth then that would outwardly demonstrate, hey, we're taking this thing serious. We're not joking. We're taking God and that prophet serious, so we're going to show that by putting on these goat hair uh, burlap coverings here. This is what they did to show repentance. 
What is repentance, friends? Sometimes we think like, well, repentance is when I got caught and I'm really sorry I got caught. Like, that's not repentance. Repentance is going in a different direction. Repentance is where you change your mind. Repentance essentially is like a U-turn where you're going your way and you realize like, ah, my way is not God's way. I can't keep going my way. I've got to repent, which is to turn around and say, I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to begin to walk and lean into God's direction. That's what it means to repent there. Where you recognize, I can't keep doing what I've been doing here. So, but it, it begins with believing God. So as we believe God in his word, there's the power to transform, to change our lives, to set us on a completely different trajectory of life. So any revival, any repentance begins with speaking like we are right now, God's word here. When you repent then, to repentance means you are actually doing something. You don't live in a vacuum. It's not business as usual. It's not uh, something has to change about you here. So essentially, you're turning to God. You're changing your mind. You're turning away from, you're walking one direction. You're turning away from what is displeasing to what is pleasing to God, to repent there. So they repented from the greatest to the least. Now, what happened has never happened before in history, where at the same time, 120,000 people are repenting. And many people thought, those people over there in Nineveh, they're never going to change. They're too far gone. They're too deceitful. They're too wicked. They're too evil. They'll never change. But see, God's word came. And you see, the power of God's word to change. 120 people living in the city and everybody turning to God at the same time. Now look at this in verse 6. When the king of Nineveh heard that, uh, what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. Now, friends, that is a big deal. This is a mega, super big deal that this would happen. And he took off his royal robes. Imagine that. And all the majesty and splendor of the king. And, and he hears the word, and he's taking off his robes there in front of the people. And he dressed himself in burlap, and sat on a heap of ashes. And the king, the king, friends, repented. He repented of the role that he played. Imagine this, a political leader taking ownership of his own doing. I'm just saying. Political leader heard the word, the power of that, and repented and went a different direction and laid aside the royalty of his position and the king was willing to relinquish the royalty of his position, and submit to a greater authority, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Yahweh, the King of the universe. So all that to say this, to press in on you and make this personal, and that is, what about you? What robe do you don in life? What is your position in life? that could keep you from disrobing that thing that is so important to you. Maybe it's your title or your rank or your influence or how people look at you or treat you or your income. And what is it that you have to lay aside and humble yourself like the king did before the creator? See, sometimes who we think we are keeps us 
from uh, disrobing ourselves before the Creator. And this is crazy. This, is, this moment is so big that the king is saying, hey, I'm taking off my clothes and I'm humbling myself before everyone because I believe what Jonah is talking about here. And the king says, everybody put on sackcloth. Everybody do this here. And it's a sign of inward grieving. He said, look, everybody, you need to recognize, we've been bankrupt. We've been worshiping all these lame gods. We've lived in spiritual bankruptcy. So we need to demonstrate our sorrow and our repentance before Jonah's God. So now the call, verse 7, this is awesome. In verse 8, the call for an all-out prayer meeting. And I say this because I get it. It feels like in our nation, it could be Nineveh-esque. You can feel like, can it go any lower? Can it get any worse? You know, like one day you're shocked and you hear the next thing. Like, is anybody shocked about the hundred food processing plants burned up in America? You're all aware of that, right? You're all aware of that? So does that, does that like shock you at all? Do you think it's going to get any worse? And, and then the next day here, now gas is going to go up to, you know, $10 a gallon. And it is key. It is like, like after a while, you feel like you get numb to it. And then it's the next thing, you think, you think, can we sink any lower? Well, here, this culture here, you think, could they have sunk any lower? But there was hope for them because of the, what we're going to talk about, the all-out prayer meeting. Verse 7. Then the king and the nobles sent his decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, from your herds and flocks shall eat or drink anything. So the king is saying, like, we're going all out. This is no one wonders. We're even making, we're even doing this with the animals. Verse 8. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. They're covering all their bases. They want to show, like, we're serious. We're sincere about this remorse of our sin. Watch. Now watch. What's it say? And everyone must, all together, everyone must, look at that. Everyone must pray earnestly to Yahweh, not half-heartedly, but earnestly. And watch, God cares about not only that they become right with him, but right with one another, right with how they treat people. And he says, and they must turn from their evil ways. They must turn from beheading people. They must turn from chopping off their ears, plucking out their eyes. They must turn from all of that and stop their, their violence. See, God care, cares about what happens, not just vertically with him, but how that plays out horizontally. So he says, but everyone must pray. Everyone must turn from their evil ways. What a beautiful picture of everyone turning away from lesser things to greater things, to turn to God. And the king says, we're going to talk to God. Like, we've never done that as a nation. We're going to talk to God. We're going to pray. And the king doesn't tell him what to pray. He just says, look, everyone must pray. He's not directing them on how to pray. But see, prayer then is giving its rightful place in Nineveh. It's a full-blown prayer service in Nineveh. And prayer changed Nineveh, and prayer can change Yukaipa, or Kalamasa, or Redlands, or Beaumont, or Cherry Valley. Prayer changes things, friends, so we must never give up understanding and be renewed in our knowledge of the power of prayer. Everyone must pray. So he says, look, we're turning from evil, we're going to pray, and then verse 9. He says, who can tell, perhaps even yet, 
God's going to change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So they prayed, and they were spared. They prayed, and God gave them another chance. They reasoned that, hey, if we change our ways, God will change his mind. So let's change our ways. And see, God loves all people, friends, and God responds to humble prayers, humbling themselves, repenting, and that kick-started the rescue of the people. And I think sometimes on a personal level, Clay, when we have our sackcloth and humility moment, when we have our sackcloth and humility stage, and we say, God, I need you. I'm tired of running my own life, tired of doing my own thing, tired of going wherever I want to go to Tarshish when you tell me to go to Nineveh, tired of that. I'm ready to do life your way. That's what they were saying here. And I'm so ready to embrace you. I'm ready to embrace your plan, your way for my life, your agenda, your job description. See, friends, true repentance always results in a surrender to God's leadership. Just in case we missed it, true repentance always results in a surrender to God's leadership and to walk in a new direction with his help and with his enabling. In fact, the basic meaning of repentance is to turn around, go in a new direction, and to start wholeheartedly walking with God in a new direction by Christ's help. So, well, guess what happened to Nineveh? Guess what happened to Jonah? Was Jonah stoned? Was Jonah murdered? Did Jonah have his eyes gorged out? No, none of that that he feared. See, oftentimes with God's assignments, we fear what's going to happen to us, and that keeps us from wanting to do what he wants us to do. Jonah realized this. Here's verse 10. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. He didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Go as the worship team comes up. When God saw what they had done, when God saw what they had done, uh, when they, they repented, when they said, we want to be right with Yahweh. We want to be right with Almighty God. We want to follow him. We're going to demonstrate that. It's going to come to visible expression. And they did. And it changed uh, their fate. So friends, um, what I feel is that, um, what I feel is that God wants to touch us in places where only he can touch us. I feel that what can happen to well-meaning, sincere um, Christ followers is that we can get in a place where we just kind of are doing the journey, but we're missing out. We're missing God's best. We're not really hearing God's voice for our life. We're just kind of doing our thing. It's like Rod's doing Rod, you're doing you. And what I feel that is that God wants to stir our hearts. I feel, that, um, I feel that God wants to um, awaken us afresh, that our hearts would be alive unto him, and that um, God wants to stir us and get our attention. And so I feel that's part of the message of Jonah chapter 3. Um, and so it's, it's about Jonah, but friends, it's about you and me. The word of the Lord comes, will come to you a second time. Okay?
God will speak to you. God wants to speak to you. And he will speak to you again and again and again. And I would ask you, well, what is God trying to speak to you, friends? Like, what is God trying to speak to you? Not your neighbor, not your best friend. No, what is he trying to speak to you? The word of the Lord, this is eternal. It's never changing. The word of the Lord will come a second time. Well, what is that word? Father, thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a, a light unto our path. And I pray that we would hear your voice again, the still small voice. And may you do what only you can do and go where only you can go. God, may our hearts be stirred afresh with affection for you. Pray you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.